Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode, Your Body Kindness. We have been talking about how we really don't have much control with our genetics and other areas that are involved in that like body size, and how to take care of ourselves while we don't have any control. But today we are going to shift that perspective. We are going to talk about an area that you actually do have control. Drum roll. Drum roll. You have a choice in how you treat your body. Yay. Woohoo. Rebecca Scritchfield wrote the book Body Kindness, which discusses many areas of how to be kind to your body in the diet culture driven world. She is going to explore with us the ways in which we have control and the choice to have a better body relationship so that we can pass along a positive body relationship to our children. Our children do not have the choice of how we talk to ourselves or treat our bodies, but we do. But if we can give our children the gift of a positive relationship with their body, because we have raised them in an environment of positive thinking and modeling positive relationship with our bodies, then we can create a strong future for them. As you all know, we don't believe in diets, and we shudder at how diet culture twists neutral words like wellness and lifestyle into guilt-inducing panic that we are doing something wrong. So how do we learn self-care, gentle nutrition, and intuitive living without diets? Rebecca's book discusses many body kindness choices that fit your personality and help you feel good. Thankfully, body kindness isn't about making perfect choices all the time. It's about connecting with your body to make loving and caring decisions that eventually take over your life in the form of enjoyable habits. She points out three ways to do this. One, do what you love by making choices that fit your interests. Two, connect to your body by thinking about what your body needs and what matters most to you. And three, caring for your health in a multitude of ways that improve your well-being. So if you follow us on Instagram, we did a little survey asking our listeners what body kindness means to them. Here are a few answers that we received. It means taking the time to make it strong, regardless of size. Another one was treating my body with respect, nourishing it and being thoughtful with inner dialogue. I love that one about the thoughts. And decreasing body comparison. We are so grateful that all you listeners are working hard on treating your body with love and kindness. And please keep following us on Instagram or join our private Facebook group to participate in surveys for future episodes or to engage thoughtful discussion and hear what other people are sharing. So, Tina, I'm curious in your work and in your life, what does body kindness mean to you? I love that you're going to ask me this question. I'm going to ask it to you because I want our listeners to recognize and see how we are practicing body kindness. So to me, it means creating space for me to be vulnerable in my body and accept that things aren't always going to go as planned or feel amazing. However, despite all the things that can go wrong or whatever discomfort that may arise, I can make the choice to engage in kindness with my body and create space for me to grow. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if every day I woke up, looked in the mirror, and was like, hey, 
what's up, you fine piece of ass? <laughs> However, that doesn't always happen. So instead, so instead of dwelling on the negative, I choose kindness. I grab those pairs of comfy pants or a top that is a bit looser and choose to be kind. Because honestly, I don't want to be at war with the one and only body I have for my entire life. Rachel, what about you? So to me, it means a term I've kind of coined called intuitive living. I mean, we discuss honoring our bodies nutritionally by doing intuitive eating, but I believe we can all learn to honor our bodies by overall intuitive living. So I think being kind to your body means listening to its signals of when it needs to rest and when it needs to move, when it needs water or when it wants that glass of wine, when it needs to sleep and when it needs to finish a project or accomplish something. I think if we can be aligned with values that help us build a meaningful life, throwback to our New Year's resolutions values episode, then we can explore like what choices we have in our bodies to fit those values. I think the biggest obstacle to intuitive living is our diet culture and a culture that really emphasizes production because they often cloud our ability to listen to our bodies. So for me, slowing down and taking time to listen to how we need to honor our bodies and our various bodily systems is body kindness. So we hope Tina and I's definitions help you guys think a little bit about what body kindness would mean. And we're going to go to our interview now with Rebecca Scritchfield and pick her brain on the thoughts behind her book and what body kindness means to her. Let's go to that now. Hey everyone, welcome to our interview today with Rebecca Scritchfield. Rebecca is a well-being coach, registered dietitian nutritionist, ACSM certified exercise physiologist, and author of the book Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out, and never say diet again, heck yeah, which Publishers Weekly calls a rousing guide to better health and the New York Times book review calls simple and true. Through her weight-inclusive body kindness counseling practices, Rebecca helps people reject diets and body shame to create a better life with workable, interesting self-care goals to fit individuals' needs and preferences, not society's unrealistic weight and beauty standards. Rebecca has influenced millions through her writing, podcast, workshops, and appearances in over a hundred media outlets. Rebecca is a freelance writer for the Washington Post and Self Magazine, an advisor to Health Magazine, and Diversity Diversify Dietetics, and a mom of two young girls. She lives in Washington, D.C., where she was recognized as one of the top 10 super mom in one of the entrepreneurs in the nationals capital. Um, Okay. Well, welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah. So we're going to jump right in, and we want you to kind of tell us a little bit about what motivated you to write the book Body Kindness, and... Can you please give us the lowdown on the fabulous art and ideas on how the book is designed? Because I think it's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the art first because it's that's more fun than so fun than the low rock bottom that led to the book. But let's talk about the pretty art. Um, so my publisher, Workman, they are they're wonderful. When we met about. Um, 
even kind of aligning on the name when I came up with the name body kindness and they loved it because they're like, it's like the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down because Rebecca, we, you know, we love what you say, but you're basically telling them that all these dreams that you've had about achieving lasting happiness and weight loss aren't likely to happen. And so they felt that like this idea of body kindness felt like a hug and compassionate. Um, And then so, you know, we said, well, let's talk about what we want the reader experience to be like. And um, so it was very intentional with respect to how how I said what needed to be said, um, but that could help a person reflect on their lived experiences and really empower people to, um, to set their preferences. So it kind of works like a journal slash workbook slash book to read to get new information. (laughs) Um, And so then that led down the line of, we want this to be something that felt beautiful to hold. Um, And that felt that even though people were going to be doing emotional work and reading the book, that there could be something um, empowering and, and pretty and brave through the whole process. That was this other thing of like people like to learn also through pictures or how could you take something that seems so complex and instead of writing 20 pages on it, turn it into a picture. Anyway, there was just a lot of hands involved to get it to its final product. It certainly was not all me or my own ideas. It was very collaborative and very intentional to create as optimistic of experience as we can given the subject matter. Yeah, that's awesome. So then what motivated you to write the book, Body Kindness? You know, I would say if I had to boil it down to like a, to a bottom line is I, I could not figure out how to continue to do meaningful work and move on in my own life, um, feeling good and feeling like I was being a helpful person um, until I could find a way to help people care for their health and their well-being um, without ever dieting again. So I, I like to tell people that this book is for you if you feel like you're at some type of rock bottom with body image or, or weight concerns or appearance concerns or judgment around food or movement, what's good enough. You've kind of lived with like a misperfectionist your whole life and you're like, ah, <laughs> you know, that, that, that this is a way to teach gentle self-compassion, um, but without having to give up this idea of, of health. You know, I think culturally we need to reframe what health even means. And I'm very literal in the book that this is about your well-being and nobody gets to define this for you. You get to make these decisions. Um, and so I think that it's, you know, ultimately it was to give s- something, right, for me to build my counseling practice around, but also any person who felt like this just isn't working for me anymore. But if you're saying that in order for me to never diet again, I'm never going to exercise again, like that doesn't sound right. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I don't want to do whole 30, but I can't imagine never eating vegetables. So what does that look like? And so it really is that intersection of like, you know that there's something important to you around health, but you know that the tools you're using are, are broken. This is like a new set of tools as it focuses on your well-being. And really from a, fun, a fundamental standpoint, what body kindness is, it's about um, 
connecting to your inner caregiver. And this is a non-judgmental, wise um, kind of voice that evolves and develops as you practice body kindness. So it's not about a new set of rules, <laughs> you know, that's dieting. It's about really trying to get in tune with your values, what matters to you, what sounds good and feels good. There's also so much experimenting and exploring that folks will have to do. And I think in particular for moms, it's such a great time. I wrote it when I had two young kids. Um, I was literally speaking to myself and a lot of these, you know, this isn't you know, you used to be a marathoner and now you're, you know, baby wearing and that's your exercise. What, what? And I'm like, ah, I have an idea. <laughs> um, but especially at such at that, in that transition, we need a new way. Our identities are evolving and we need a new way to relate to our bodies, to our, our, like who we are as a mom and who we are still as a person and not lose that person. So there's a lot of, it's a perfect time. Um, you know, um, to kind of embrace a new philosophy for well-being after you become a mom, I think. For sure. I love how you hit on the point of like, this is a practice that gets better as you practice it. it. I get a lot of clients that come in of like, how do I heal my body image? Or I still feel so uncomfortable in my body. And it's like, well, what have you been practicing? What do you do? It isn't just going to be something that heals on its own or that would require no effort. It, it is something that requires you to practice and, and, and have a part of your daily routine. Um, and I think that is conveyed in your book really well. So I appreciate that. Yeah. So since in this episode, we are discussing one piece of your book, which is what we can control and what choices we have in practicing body kindness. We are curious if you can speak to this further. You know, what choices can we make to enhance body kindness? Sure. Well, um, I think it's important to communicate uh, the idea that we can cannot control our thoughts and feelings. And this comes from what I've learned in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is um, a third wave of cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I am not a therapist, um, but I have um, studied under um, therapists and, you know, really value uh, therapists as part of a care team, as well as how, um, you know, the, the, the therapies really help people um, relate to themselves better. And so, you know, specifically in ACT being mindfulness-based, um, Stephen Hayes, who is the creator of ACT, um, talks about that, um, you know, our thoughts and our feelings are are just words and um, that we can't really control when they come or why they're there, but we can kind of pivot toward our values and have some compassion for their existence without kind of getting lost in a tug of war with them. And I think like fundamentally, that's a really powerful place to start to think about things that you can and can't control. Um, so you had mentioned clients are like, I just want a better body image. And we got to of course, right? And a lot of times I am listening and relating to clients with that. And also kind of normalizing this idea about, oh my gosh, can I share something? Um, you know, I was just, um, 
doing this exercise and, you know, it felt so great. And, um, I felt, you know, really relaxed. And then I just had this thought about out like, oh, you could see your bicep, you know? And it was just like, I had to notice that thought and say, okay, hey, thank you, mind. Of course, I value strong muscles. And there were many reasons why I went to that yoga class today. And that is like one type of example where somebody who's trying to do anti-diet right, you know, they might've heard that voice before be like, you know, you need Michelle Obama arms or your arms are gross or flabby, you know? And so, so there's this pain around your body. And a lot of times when they, when they realize, oh my gosh, wait, you wrote body kindness and you still have negative thoughts. And I'm like, yep. And it's all and how we relate to these thoughts with compassion. And, um, you know, I talk in the book about dead person's goals, which is also something from ACT and this idea of you don't want to set a goal that like, I'll never eat chocolate cake again. You know, um, you know, I'll never have a bad thought about this, you know, I'll never struggle with, you know, whatever's bothering you that, that it might actually be a need to reframe your goals. Um, even something with weight, right? We know that when we get pregnant, we're lucky if we have the right type of care team that allows us to gain weight, you know, culture certainly does it, but then the second we're postpartum, it's like, we're magically supposed to lose weight really quickly. That's actually not scientifically true, but we might have weight concerns on our brain. And so how do we relate to these thoughts and feelings and say, you know what, I think I'm really needing some rest because I just had a baby or I'm tired, <laughs> you know, what, you know, this is what a, the feeling that I'm getting. And yet I feel this tremendous amount of pressure that if I don't exercise, that it somehow is going to be bad for me. I might not lose the baby weight that I'm supposed to lose or that I, that I'm feeling like I need to lose, you know? And so people get kind of stuck in this, they should on themselves and they might go into a punishing workout and then they hated it because all they did was beat themselves up the entire time. And so where you might use this thing that you can control is notice your thoughts and feelings and saying, so, you know, I'm having this really judgmental thought that if I don't work out today and in this moment that I'm doing something really bad. Well, let me stop it and think about that. Like, what does my caregiver say right now? And a caregiver might say, you know what, it's just not a good time for me to get what I had planned to do for movement in. And instead, you know, this, there's something else that I could do. And that might be something that's movement oriented and say playful with your child, or that might be that you're going to choose, you know, to go and get a massage or go out and have a meal with a friend. And you know, that thought bully, wait a minute, you're not going to work out to burn calories. You're going to go eat instead. And they're going to, that's nuts, you know? And so it, it's like listening to that and say, you know, but I enjoy socializing with this friend. I like to reconnect with my friend. And I don't want to be the kind of person who is obsessed with calorie burns anymore. And I do need to nourish myself. So I am going to go ahead and make that choice right now. And I trust that I'll move again at another time. Um, so that's just one example of how looking at things you cannot control, you know, and, and then really thinking about actions, meaningful actions that you can take that you can control. And I would say that that is going to be within certain parameters, right? So a single parent um, might not have the amount of childcare support that 
two parent families have or families that have another family member nearby. So we want to also acknowledge that we can't just assume everybody has the same access to resources, whether that's time or money. So these are going to be meaningful actions that you could take within the resources that you have. For sure. And that flows us into our next point. You know, Rachel and I firmly believe in the health at every size principles, and we both practice this and and just wholeheartedly believe it. And so I can see how some mamas would think that body kindness only applies to privileged bodies. So can you talk a little bit about how body kindness is for all bodies or even those living in marginalized bodies are struggling to believe that they deserve body kindness. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the first thing that I need to say is that, um, so it, it being my philosophy and book, it is already going to be coming from my perspective, which means it's coming with my privileges baked in. Um, and that's something that's really important to acknowledge. So as a white woman with thin privilege and with you know, a good job and financial means, um, there, you know, it includes that perspective and this perspective of clients I've worked with who also have been financially stable, um, predominantly white, um, various sizes, but it really is important to recognize that because I would never want to say, I know exactly how you feel, or this is exactly what you're supposed to do to really answer your question. What I need to do is acknowledge my own privileges and also point the sword at the culture. Um, and that, you know, the culture really is the problem here and that why are bodies even put in a hierarchy in the first place? Why do we marginalize people based on their appearance, based on their race, gender identity, based on their abilities? Um, that these are serious problems that can take many lifetimes to resolve. And so where I think body kindness fits, um, in the best way possible is that it allows you to stop and think about what is personally meaningful to me and what do I think I need right now. And so just by, just by offering a place that is anti-diet, you know, that already is a resistance to culture. Um, and you know, but there's, you know, for example, there are folks who feel like it's really hard to give up weight concerns. And and a lot of times what I hear about is when they have more than one marginalized identity or the higher they are um, in weight, the more oppression they feel. And so know that, that that is, those cultural norms are the things that we need to absolutely work to dismantle. Um, And it's, it is while it takes a lot of effort to dismantle those, if we attack the bigotry, which is changing people's minds, stop being a bigot, <laughs> right? Then we have less weight stigma and we have better health as a society. And because we can't control exactly the trajectory for where that happens, the self preservation that you need to establish 
establish healthy boundaries, a community of trust, um, and trusting the own connection with yourself. So even, you know, resisting what would be the white Eurocentric thin beauty standards and health standards, that is a form of rebellion. And that's absolutely how I would encourage you to take body kindness as a practice. Um, and yeah, just, you know, the fact that you get to decide what body kindness is for you, where there might be an additional level of pain is when you feel like you've made all this personal progress. And then when you compare it to the social norms, it's like, and yet there's this big sadness and grief of that. It still doesn't measure up to what society defines for me. And we have to just own and acknowledge that pain and hold that space for pain with our care team in our communities of trust, because we need to rely on other people and connect to them to help us feel better about where we are in life. I love how you use the word oppression and also acknowledge the cultural norms and expectations, because I think that the biggest, you know, quote unquote, argument that I hear back from my mom friends when I'm discussing body kindness and anti-diet is, yeah, but I need to lose the weight or I need to change my body because, you know, there's been an impact on my body from being pregnant or after birth or as I've sacrificed my time and my sleep and my self-care and I think for so many, this cultural narrative gets people so confused about how do I practice body kindness without it being weight loss focused? Or how do I practice body kindness when I feel like there are all these messages supporting a changing, strengthened, toned, lower weight body? I think it just gets very confusing for so many. And so I'm curious if you could speak to moms on how do you put yourself first and how do you give yourself body kindness in light of the changes your body has gone through? Yeah. Um, these are all really great questions. I think that, you know, first of all, um, having an understanding for that bodies are meant to change over time. Um, you know, once we're postpartum, we're always postpartum. And as we age, you know, we think that it's another angle, right? We don't know how to age by supporting and respecting the aging process. Um, and so it, it, it adds another layer of things that are quite normal, um, and actually protective for health, uh, you know, such as having, you know, technically say we're going to use BMI, you know, hospitals, doctors still use it. Um, those in the overweight BMI category actually have the most longevity and weight loss as you get older is actually seen as a risk for chronic disease and a concern for malnourishment. Um, so now that said, again, cultural messages, how are doctors being trained? How are they being compensated? They're compensated to recommend weight loss based on BMI. They don't even have to ask, what are you doing for your self-care? So know that your whole lifetime of systemic oppression that you might not have even realized um, you were being oppressed is in your brain. You know, we start absorbing messages from the age of one and they're really hard to let go of because they're our belief system. Now, not only that, we might not be happy with our appearance the way that it is. And we might be struggling emotionally, um, you know, because you do lose social power, the less you conform. Um, and it feels good to get social power. And so the thing that I like to bring it back to is that body autonomy is very important. And that means that nobody should tell anybody what to do with their body because it's, it is ours, right? That includes somebody who's like, look, body kindness, body kindness, I am going to 
follow whole 30 weight loss is me who, you know, that is where that person needs to be. Um, and also at the same time, understanding that, um, when we approach it with compassion of that, it's okay to have weight concerns. It makes sense to have a desire for weight loss because of the social power aspects, because what we've been told it'd be better for our doctor. And again, it's just what we have in our own mind. When we look more the way we want to look, we feel better emotionally and who doesn't want to feel better? So the more we make space that all these desires are real and valid and they are okay to have, then the second thing I add from there is that nobody can tell anybody whether or not they'll lose weight or how much weight they will lose. And that I see getting jumbled up now, the more mainstream um, I see body positivity and health at every size becoming is, is sometimes people are getting confused by it or just not hearing or not saying it correctly. And that it, it, it the, the message of things like you, you can't control your weight is being perceived as any weight loss is always bad and you must be doing diet culture if you're losing any amount of weight. And so again, you know, weight is um, heritable second to height. And so we don't walk around, we walk around valuing tallness usually. So there's a value there. We don't walk around thinking that we can control height. And, and there, there is a strong genetic predictor of weight. Um, and so if we can embrace that and say, it's okay to have weight concerns. And even when you're working on, making self-care choices that are different, like getting enough sleep, like getting into exercise again, right? Of course, you're going to have these memories that when I exercise, I have, you know, stronger muscles, you know, in the past I've lost weight when I've exercised. So all of that you're going to be bringing, and that might actually be true for some people who pick up body kindness and they get more into movement and they are choosing to weigh themselves. It's not something that I do or recommend, but again, body autonomy or their notice clothes fitting or whatever. And the idea that your mind is taking you back to weight loss as a monitoring tool because of how we value it and what you've always been taught. If you see that happening, I would just encourage you to say, okay. And so that instead of you know, overly celebrating, you're observing it just like any other change you're observing. And you're saying, and what else am I getting that I'm valuing out of this process? Because the reality of it is, this is what I always see. I'd love to hear your guys' input too, that if they come in and they confess, okay, so I'm weighing myself. Right. And then you find out that they did like two workouts and then jumped on the scale, right. Expecting this magnificent change. And they're like, and then I went in the kitchen and ate everything because I didn't see what I wanted. Right. And and, and it's like, it's, it's another turn on their lesson where you could just hold space and talk about it and see as it's like the idea that they didn't have this calm, patient caregiver that said, you know what, maybe weight loss isn't the most important thing. We're hearing that in our mind, but what if we focused on sleep and some movement, some gentle nutrition stuff? What if we were really patient with ourselves and looked at the inherent value of these changes and how they were improving our lives? people may actually lose weight. And whether that was related to, like you were saying, folks before were like, oh, but you know, I haven't done anything in so long. Well, if that was in your genetic footprint, if that was in your that point, that's just biology. And yes, you will have more social power and you might feel better. That's just privilege doing its job. What we want to say is that there's an inherent value for self-care for every body, every size, every ability, every intersection. And 
That's what we're trying to hold culture more accountable to. Your personal experience, you might lose some weight in doing it and it might be just enough and you're happy. It might not be enough and then you have to work for that. Or you might not lose any weight and feel miserable about it and you might need help and support and making sense of and peace with that because you have to be there for people you care about, yourself, your children, your family, others who matter. And life is precious and short. We don't have time to waste in our heads about how much we suck because it's not perfect. So try to find a body kindness path to where you say, you know, life is better and more meaningful. And a lot of stuff out there by culture, I'm just going to say, nope, not for me and move on. And anyone can get there. You can get there eventually. It just might take some time. Hey listeners, Rachel and Tina here to share with you an exciting announcement. If you have been enjoying this interview with Rebecca Scritchfield and want to check out her book, Body Kindness, you can find it on Amazon or other places books are sold in print, audiobook, or Kindle version. The awesome news is that we have partnered with her to do a book giveaway over on our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram at MomJeansThePodcast or join our Facebook group, MomJeansThePodcast, or like our Facebook page to find out the details about the giveaway. But hurry, the giveaway launches the day the episode drops and is only open for six days. Okay, back to our episode. I guess in response to that, what I talk about with my clients is intuitive living. You know, we use the word intuitive eating, so I try to talk to my clients about intuitive living because, you know, to go along with the term body kindness, it's figuring out what works for you and what intuitively makes sense for you. You know, for that person, it might be intuitive for them to get up early in the morning and exercise. For someone else, it might not make sense at all for them because it triggers too much of the diet mentality. So it's really kind of figuring out exactly how to give yourself that self-care, give yourself those boundaries, give yourself the grace that you are doing what is best for you, to let go of comparisons, and to find the schedule that works best for you so you feel like you're living your best life and living aligned with your values. Is that kind of what you are saying with that? A hundred percent. I I love the idea of of intuitive eating and intuitive living. And the, what I would encourage listeners is that um, don't look at it as well. Right now, it automatically is intuitive, right? But more that you're you are on the path to develop what intuitive living means for you, because that's a lot of times where I see people kind of you know getting stuck. Like, I can't eat intuitively. I would eat everything around. Well, if you had been restricting, that's actually a appropriate biological response and part of how you heal your relationship to food. But also there's a whole way of when you stop and think, how do I imagine a typical person enjoys ice cream, right? Like, you know, so we're talking ice cream. What's my favorite ice cream? How do I know what, you know, what flavors, when do I like to enjoy it? You're coming up with all these preferences and how do I imagine people enjoy ice cream and how would I like to enjoy it? And then if there's anything about your relationship to ice cream that bothers you, that truly bothers you from the inside, you can explore that with some amount of support and figure out, is there something that I need to reframe in this type of relationship? You know, I, I'm always telling people that you're not getting rid of emotional eating per se, because we all have emotions. We're feeling something all the time. And, but there's, you know, certainly this idea of like, but I feel like food is the first thing that I go to. And it's kind of like a numb out type feeling that of course, if you want to find other ways of coping, 
but that's a reframe of a goal, right? It's not never have ice cream again. It's not never eat emotionally again. It's like, let me dig in and think about what do I think sounds like self-care and that connection to intuitive, I would say is absolutely a body kindness practice. I think it's a beautiful way to, to talk to people. So in your book, you mentioned how important it is to develop a body kindness tribe. And I think that's a great point for moms because we often struggle to find a tribe, especially one that isn't criticizing our post-baby bodies while we're chatting at the playground. So I'm curious if you have any advice to moms on how to find a body kindness tribe. That's a really good question. Um, First, to acknowledge the power of community. Uh, oh, so many times, especially women, especially busy moms, right? We have things we're going through and we feel all alone, right? Or we're, you know, we're tired and we're having negative thoughts and, you know, we we're feeling like I need someone. And then the next thing that comes out is like, don't bother them. They don't have time. They have a lot going on too. Who are you to ask for blah, 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 blah. Right. And it just goes and goes another thought bully, more of an inner critic. And the reality is the basic human experience is about connection, whether that's one-on-one or in a group. But also in terms of groups, we often self-monitor about fitting in. And that's more of a job that we're doing, like what are the rules of this group and how do I fit into this group? How do I conform to this group's standards and identities? And... Um, it's much better to look at it as a sense of belonging and connection. And so what I mean by that is you might find a great locals moms group and that focus is on, you know, just mom time, we time, like different fun things that you do without kids. And you might find that that socializing, it kind of is an antidote for loneliness and it makes you feel, you know, Um, happiness and engagement and things other than being a mom. And so it brings all this value. And then there might be a workshop and it's on weight loss in the new year, right? And it's like, and you feel horrible, like this is a toxic place and I can't ever go back, right? And you spiral down in these negative emotions. And I think the thing to do with respect to community is is pause and take a deep and gentle, compassionate breath and say, yeah, this is really hard to be here because I really do need community. And there was a lot of valuable things that was getting out of this. Um, It really bothers me that this community is focusing on, you know, something weight normative because I've had a really painful history and I wish their eyes more were open to diet culture and, oh, I wish we could do a book club for body kindness and intuitive eating. I have all these other ideas. And so when you stop and think and make space for that pain, right, rather than like never go to the group again or something, it's like, I can choose that this isn't for me. And I can also email an organizer and say, you know, hey, I've got some ideas, you know, and and share those and even some sort of you know personal hey I opted out of this month want to share a little bit about why of course it's understandable different people have you know different goals it's just for me I'm not really going to do weight loss focused stuff but there's a few good books and if you think moms might want to do a book club I'd love to be part of that next thing you know what you're doing is you're really shoring up your boundaries without expecting every group is going to be a hundred percent aligned with what you need the entire time. And I think that's really important because sometimes people will avoid communities 
because they fear the community won't be exactly what they need all the time. And then you miss out on the power of community. You really do need the right fit community. And when you try and experiment, not it's not just do I fit in here? What do I like about this? What do I maybe not like about this? And explore and experiment. You don't need a million communities, maybe one or two. I call post-it people, like a short list of people that would fit on a post-it note. Nurture those connections um, because they're really important to your well-being. But be very mindful about when you're on your path, things are going to happen because we all live in diet culture and it's going to bother you. Be gentle with yourself, talk to your caregiver, and journal and reflect on what really bothers you about that. And then you'll come up with ideas and a solution so that you can, you know, maintain connections that matter, but do a much better job at advocating for your needs and, you know, maybe even setting some boundaries and offering a more healing, um, compassionate space that people might just not yet know. Um, They didn't know they needed it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. To piggyback off of that, I'm going to focus on the nutrition piece a little bit. And so like so often the body bashing and the food bashing exists in these groups and to be the odd one out of like, I'm, I'm body affirming and I'm never, I don't believe in diets can be really challenging. Um, And so it might be easier for people to just be like, ah, whatever. I'm just, I'm just going to diet or I'm just going to body bash along with everybody else. So how can mamas in these tribes support their nutrition without jumping on that bandwagon? Yeah. Well, um, something we can be aware of um, that I talk a little bit about in the book is social comparison. And it's this idea that we really do compare up. And, And so like we look and we're like, oh, you know, so they're doing this plan. Maybe I should do it because what if they get these magical weight loss benefits and I don't want to be left out and then FOMO comes in. Know that that's our normal brain response based on you know evolutionary. We all needed a job in our historical tribe. And so our mind is just looking at all the options. Give yourself some time. I love the phrase sleep on it, right? Don't make a decision right away you know, give yourself some time to write down your thoughts and feelings and think about it. Um, Give at least one day to sleep on it and see how you feel about it the next day, maybe a few days. And uh, you'll get to a point where you can come to uh, like a rational um, decision about what's next. You might know that there's someone else in the group that's a really close friend and you decide that your first step is going to be to reach out to them and say, hey, um, can I kind of like talk to you about this thing that happened at our dinner? You know, it just, it was really hard for me to get through that dinner. There was so much body bashing and so much weight loss talk. It like ruined my appetite. It was just, oh, you know, and you know, even just asking to vent, your friend might have the same experience and then you're venting together, you're processing together. That's a way of healing emotions. Um, and your friend might just offer a listening space and um, they might offer some advice and say, hey, can I offer some advice? And you say, I, I've really been practicing this sort of like let it roll, you know, kind of feeling where um, as soon as I notice that something's not for me, that I just take a deep breath and I let out this sigh. And I know when I'm letting out this sigh, this kind of like, ah, you know, that that is a signal to me is that I'm getting rid of this negativity that what's happening right now, I don't need. And, um, and there might be other advice 
advice, for example, and, and that it, this, this social stuff happens to me a lot in, in parent groups, you know, my daughter's school and whatnot. And um, especially it gets problematic when they find out what I do, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I try to think about grace and compassion and Brene Brown has an awesome philosophy where she says, what's the most generous assumption that you can make about somebody in a very specific moment. And she asks us to assume that people are really doing the best they can with what they have. And with that compassion for others, our own self-compassion grows where maybe what we're wrestling with is that we were so low on like this emotional energy and then that room just sucked it out and you're like, damn it, why did I go? You know? And so let yourself be angry sleep on it, vent to a friend, process feelings and emotions. When you can get more to rational thinking again, you will come up with a solution that is really going to feel like self-care for you. Um, and just know that all the feelings that we have, it's more information. It's saying, you know, I really don't like when people body bash, but maybe they're going through something really hard. Maybe some tools I could work on is changing the conversation. Uh, maybe there's something that I could offer in this group that might help people um, if I have the emotional energy to do it. Or you know what, maybe what I need to do is like put a pause on this group for one month and then give myself some space just to reground and recenter because um, I need some time to heal and then go back and give it another opportunity. Um, it's perfectly acceptable to decide that a group is just no longer going to work for you. Too many blow ups and it's just like, nope, toxic find another one. Um, but mostly what I want people to know and understand is that, you know, boundaries are really good and really important. There's lots of compassionate ways to set them and you should absolutely protect yourself. Don't worry about being nice. That's a cultural stigma for women to be nice. You know, there's a way to be compassionate and firm and stick to your own values. You're not meant to always agree and align with everybody. I love that you talked about privilege and gave that disclaimer that it might feel easier to talk about body kindness from a certain perspective or body because I find that it can be really challenging to embrace the concept of body kindness from people if they feel that their bodies have let them down. I mean, if they have had to grieve the loss of pregnancy or a child or struggle with infertility or breast cancer or just another medical condition that can make it hard for them to love their mom bod. Can you touch on how to help clients or friends navigate that piece? Wait, hold on, Tina. Let me say that again. Can you touch on how you help clients or friends navigate that piece? Sure. Well, I love the word love. Um, it's the first pillar of, bo of body kindness, make choices from a place of love. Know that love is one of our supreme emotions. And there are many forms of love. Whenever you hear about, oh, someone buy, bought my coffee and I'm buying the next one, that is a form of love, total strangers, but it is still a form of love. Um, and that matters because love is a path. Maybe in this present moment, you don't love your body. Maybe you're pissed. You have a right to your anger and you need to feel and process that anger, the sadness, the grief, everything you mentioned, or as you know, right, for listeners, it's a various form of trauma. And we do not um, allow ourselves in our society to take trauma seriously, to call things trauma that really are trauma. Um, we have mental health stigma in our culture, so we're not allowed to go get help for things that actually really do need some support. So it goes back to a basic practice of body kindness is that I have needs and it is okay to meet my needs. And I think that when you could say, maybe I don't love my body right now because I've got some hurt 
in pain. Um, again, back to culture, we have healthism where we expect we're supposed to like, right, bulletproof coffee, say, right, yak butter, whatever the, all that random stuff is, your biohacking, buy a DNA kit to test your breast milk. I mean, it is bananas. It's all billions of dollars to make you think that you're not good enough. And so by just releasing of that and saying there's societal issues here, but what can I do right now? This is the body I have. My hope and confidence is low that this body I have will be good to me because it has hurt me. But I want to be good to it no matter what. And that's the third pillar, care. And that stay fully committed to care for your well-being no matter what. That is through the highs and lows, the thick and thins, the traumas, the resilience. It all matters and you are worth it and you can do it. And actually the practice of body kindness will help you through some of your worst body journeys. It is not a Pollyanna. It is not a fake it till you make it. It is true honesty. And that can include, I'm very angry at my body and I'm hurt by my body right now. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Well, this has been great. And I always hate when we have to cut the interviews off because I'm like, no, I want to keep going. But um, yeah, to kind of flow in to the final, but can you tell our listeners where they can find you or a little bit where they can get your book? Sure. So the book and audiobook and ebook is available um, everywhere. And I certainly also recommend that folks try to check it out at their local library. You can re- Quest the library if it's not there. Um, there are used copies. So be creative. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, bodykindnessbook.com is a great place to connect with me. I have a free um, getting started with body kindness. So you can read the first chapter. There's also the video with a reflective guide. You could start right away. You give your name and email and I'll even check in with you like over about a week. Um, with just some more backstory and encouragement from other readers. So if you go to bodykindnessbook.com slash start, you'll land right on that page or you'll be able to browse um, to it from the homepage where it says get started. And I'm on social media, so you'll be able to find all the different places from that website too. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you to Rebecca for exploring with us what body kindness means for everyone. And regardless of the journey that it took for us to become moms, our bodies have been through so much physically, emotionally, and mentally. So we really hope that our listeners can find body kindness in a multitude of ways by focusing on gratitude, honoring your emotions and the psychological work you need to do, and also learning to care for your body physically. So our takeaway question for all of you today is how can you treat your body with kindness both physically and emotionally? Feel free to check us out on social media for more connection and we hope to see you next time. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Mommy. See you next time.